All right, so good morning. And last week, as we began our time, I got to share with you um, my love of books. And uh, this week, as we begin our time, uh, I want to take it down a notch. And uh, there are some things in life that are just, eh. Or as uh, the Gen Z would say, mid, right? It's mid, no cap, right? Um, so there, there's some things that we love, and there's some things that it's like, it's okay. For me, one of those things is what I'm wearing this morning, a collared shirt. I just, you know, it's, it's mid. Um, I don't get it. You know, what's the point? What's, I'm not going to wear a tie with this. I don't understand. Um, but it, it's not terrible. Um, but another thing like that for me is musicals. Now, I know I may have offended some of you. Okay? Take a deep breath. It's going to be all right. Musicals for me, uh, I'm not saying they're all mediocre. I'm saying I like a small amount of them. Okay? Um, and one of those uh, that, that I did enjoy that uh, my wife and I watched, I don't know, it was like three years ago. I can't remember when it came out. Was uh, the modern musical, The Greatest Showman. Um, we really enjoyed this musical about the life of P.T. Barnum, um, with some embellishments, of course, about this guy. It, t- it turns out all I need to like a musical is a circus. Um, you know, if there's elephants, then I'm in. Um, so we watched this, this musical, and one of the things as we're watching this, just like from the moment it starts rolling, is something stands out to me. I can't help but view things through my Christian goggles most of the time. It's almost like I'm you know, have the Holy Spirit living in me or something. Um, but I can't help but view certain things through this, this lens that we know as the church that is the gospel. And as this movie starts rolling, one of the things that stands out to me is this movie is just crying out with longing for things. Right from the beginning, you see the world and you see tragedy, you see um, this disparagement. Even right in the beginning, you see kind of the poorest of the poor and the richest of the rich and the disparagement that's there. You see sorrow and pain and loss and longing for something better than what they had. In particular, as the movie progresses and kind of the main character starts getting what he wants, there's this other character that enters in, um, Jenny Lind. She is a famous English singer in, in this movie, and she performs this song that, I mean, it just grabbed me with, with the lyrics, and many of you have probably heard it. This is relatively popular, I would say. She sings this song called Never Enough, and in the song, she's, she's professing that unless I have this certain person with me, it's sort of a love song. Unless I have this certain person with me, then I will not be satisfied. The lyrics go something like this. All the shine of the thousand spotlights and all the stars we steal from the night sky will never be enough. Towers of gold are still too little. And these hands, they could hold the world, but it would never be enough. And it's just this crying out for longing in this song. And as this movie as a whole progresses, but particularly in that moment, I was just like, this reveals a great truth about the human condition, about our needs, our longings, our soul's desire to be satisfied. 
We long for something or someone to make us feel complete. We long to have enough. That is what I'm going to put before you today. The mission of the church is meant to address the deepest longings of the human condition. This is part of the human condition that we seem very clear as a church most of the time to get is our need for a Savior. Right? We we know that people need Jesus, and it's something that we put before one another often. You know, we, and we have no trouble recognizing that people need salvation and rescue from hell and judgment, and they need their sins forgiven. Yes and amen, but I wanted this morning hopefully show that it even goes deeper than that, that the gospel goes much deeper than merely saving sinners. That is what it does. And I don't want to minimize that in any way. But there's more to the story. It addresses the deepest desires and longings of sinners. If I could summarize it in the simplest terms, I would say it like this. The mission of the church is to proclaim to the world that Jesus is better. Full stop. Better than what? All of it. All of it. In a fuller way of speaking, I would say that the mission of the church is ultimately the mission of God, which is to make known the dominion, glory, and kingdom of Jesus through the proclamation of the gospel. So as we get into our text this morning, you might be wondering, why in the world are we in Daniel? Um, and, and this is one of the things, getting the, the great honor and privilege to preach topically, um, the best and worst part is getting to pick the text. And this, this text, I, just, I really think it, it fits with the idea of what the mission of the church is. And I'll explain that to you. The text we read this morning falls in the middle of Daniel's vision of the coming Christ and the mission and plan of God for the nations. You see, in the text previous, like before what we've read and after what we've read, we see this sort of um, scary vision Daniel has of these beasts. And God would later reveal to Daniel that these beasts that he are seeing are actually these nations that are going to fall and rise. And smack dab in the middle of that. So he sees the vision of the beast, then we get our text today, and then we get the explanation of what the beasts are. Smack dab in the middle is this story, this, this vision, this truth of God that there is one who is coming whose kingdom will never end. All of these great beasts that look so fearful and frightening, Daniel's, you know, God, the Lord reveals to Daniel, they're going to pass away. All of these kingdoms will fall, but smack dab in the middle is one whose kingdom never fails. And I think we, we do well to look at Daniel when we consider missions in the church. 
Um, because we have this sort of Old Testament, New Testament tension that's about to change here with Daniel. See, Daniel is a prophet in exile. After Judah has been taken away by Babylon, and then we have the book of Daniel, and it's right in the middle when the winds are about to change and, and there's something happening. You see, if we look back at Old Testament history, God is using this nation, this people, Israel, to build up. He's pouring in and pouring in, and they mess up, and he's still pouring in and, and making all these changes. And we could even say it like this, that God is drawing the nations to Israel. He's making them a spectacle. We see this right after the Exodus, whenever they go to Jericho, they had already heard of all the things God has done for this people. He's magnifying his name. He's glorifying himself. And then in the New Testament, Jesus enters in and things change. And Daniel is kind of this spot in between. And when I say change things, things change, here's what I mean. The Old Testament, we see God just kind of drawing in, drawing in. And Christ is the pinnacle of that bringing in to this people. And then when Jesus enters the picture, so the mission of God has always been drawing people, drawing people, and then Jesus enters, and then it explodes outward to the nations. So think of it sort of like this gathering, an explosion outwards with the gospel. This is what's happening. And then Daniel's vision gives us some things to think about as a New Testament church, particularly something we've kind of coined the already not yet of the kingdom of God. That there are things in prophecy that have already happened, and there are things that have not yet happened, but it is the kingdom of God nonetheless. And it's important that we understand God has always been on mission. God in the Old Testament was not grouchy and didn't want people to be saved. That's not at all what the Bible gives us. But he's always been working, doing, drawing people to himself. In the book of Daniel, we get sort of a precursor of what's to come in the New Testament church. Because what happens? What's the background of the book of Daniel? It is God has actually taken his people, removed them, and put them into a pagan nation. It's a precursor to the missions movement that would happen much later as the church would go to all nations. In Daniel, we start to see some of these things happening. Though it is through exile, Daniel chronicles God sending his people into an unbelieving nation and making himself known there. So as we walk through our text today, the first thing I want to put before you is this, and I've already said it, the mission of the church is the mission of God. What is the mission of God? What is the ultimate underlying mission? To glorify His name among the nations. In our text, the Ancient of Days, which is Yahweh, it is our God, and the Son of Man are glorified in Daniel's vision. We see this, this sort of glorious throne of the Ancient of Days. If we just look up a little bit in verses 9 and 10, the Scripture says, and I, As I looked, thrones were placed in the Ancient of Days, 
took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and his hair, the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before them, and a thousand thousands served him. And 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. A glorious, jaw-dropping scene of our God. And then in our text, we see the Son of Man, one like the Son of Man, coming on the clouds. And clouds is an important prophetic sort of language that, that is often used to denote glory. This glorious coming of the Son of Man. And Jesus himself would even solidify this in Mark chapter 14, verses 61 and 62, where our Savior said, in the midst of his trial, says he remained silent and made no answer. And again the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the Son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and what? Coming with the clouds of heaven. It's important that we know this scene, what we're looking at here in Daniel, is a glorious scene of our God. It's meant to inspire awe. Daniel, as we, as if, you read, if you've ever read Daniel before, you'll know the whole time it's like he's just overwhelmed as he's seeing this vision. And for good reason. And our text tells us that the glory bestowed upon the Son of Man here is what draws people to him. Look at verse 14. To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. God's mission since the fall has been to make his glory known among the peoples. We see this in Habakkuk chapter 2, another prophet, verses 13 and 14, who writes, Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire, and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This has been God's mission to make himself known. The kingdoms of earth are mentioned in Daniel's vision in our text. And I will say this, the frailty of the kingdoms of earth is a major theme throughout the entire book of Daniel. Just how, in comparison to what God is doing in his mission, how frail, how weak everything else really is. Chapter 2 of Daniel, where, and I'll just paraphrase this, one of my favorite story sections in Daniel is that King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon has this dream that really worries him. He's anxious over it. He doesn't know what to do with himself over it. He calls all of his people that supposedly should know what to do in a situation like this, the diviners, the magicians. 
He brings them in and he goes, you tell me my dream and its interpretation. And they say, hey, how about you tell us the dream and we'll tell you the interpretation. And he goes, how about I cut off your head if you don't tell me my dream? That's how serious he was. And then they start despairing. All these wise men of Babylon, what are we going to do? And then there just happens to be this Hebrew that was brought in through exile named Daniel. Who says, let me pray on this. And then in chapter 2 of Daniel, the Lord reveals to him the dream and its interpretation. And one of my favorite lines in Daniel's doxology after receiving this is, you set up kings and you take down kings. Everything, my God, is yours. There really is nothing that you can't do. There's really no realm in which you're outside of. There is nothing that is outside of your sovereign hand and your working. So Daniel professes this. This is part of the theme. All the kingdoms of the earth rise and fall, but the glory of God outlives all of these things. And there are countless other passages about the supremacy of the glory of God. Graham read one in our opening in Psalm 8. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Or Isaiah 42, where God says to the prophet, I am Yahweh. I will give my glory to no other. That is my name. God is above all else. And here's why I've been spending all of this time saying this. God is above all else. His glory towers over everything else. And that very glory is missional. That the point of his glory is enough in and of itself, but it has intention. It is a missional glory. God is the pinnacle and purpose of human adoration and worship, and his glory is missional. It is intentional. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says this. You may have heard this phrase before, one of the most popular from this catechism. It says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. This is why we were made to acknowledge His glory, to glorify His name, and enjoy that glory forever. The mission of God to glorify His name among the nations is not selfish. Because I know that, if you're like me, that might be a hesitation you've had. What is with God always demanding that we worship him? If I did that, my wife would have none of it, right? If my attitude was, I am wonderful and glorious, you, you should be just thrilled that you get to walk in the same ground that I walk on. That wouldn't go well for me, right? As it shouldn't. But the thing is, God is not like us. And his glory and the good he has done is not like any good we may do. You see, his glory is missional, it's intentional, and his glory is actually what satisfies our deepest longings. When God is worshipped, when he is seen for who he is, and he's adored, that actually is for our good. It's not a selfish act. 
What would be messed up is if God were content to just let us continue worshiping other things without proclaiming his name before us. But he hasn't done that. He wouldn't be God otherwise. Human beings find their greatest joy in worshiping God. But here's the thing. Another reason why it's not selfish. God doesn't need you and I to worship him. He doesn't need our worship. He doesn't need the worship of the nations. He is content in and of himself. It's not out of some neediness that he commands us to worship him. It's because he loves us. He knows this is our deepest need. This is what will satisfy our longing soul. So he says, worship me and me only. Because all the other junk that you're bowing down to is just that junk. It's not going to satisfy. Now, you may or may not have seen a couple of John Piper quotes coming. Here they are. Okay, there, there's two. Um, one of them, uh, both of them are very popular, well-known, so you may know them if you're, if you're much into um, Piperian literature. Okay? The first one, his most well-known, is that God is most glorified in us what? when we are most satisfied in him. That our worship of God and God's glory, they, they connect in this, that God is most glorified when we are so satisfied with who he is. The other one, as relates to missions, is this very simple quote. Missions exists because worship doesn't. In other words, there are people groups. There are people in the world. There are people right here in Mansfield slash Arlington who do not worship God. And that is the reason why the Fields Church is here. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Because there are people who their souls are still chasing after things that will never satisfy. And God is on mission to get them, to draw them near, because he cares for them, and because his glory is their highest good. And so the glory of God to the nations is the mission of God, because it's the mission of our God, it is the mission of the church. Next, the mission of the church is accomplished through the reign of Christ. This is what we see in our text in Daniel. The Son of Man was given dominion and a kingdom. And from our New Testament vantage point, this kingdom is already slash not yet. It's another way of putting it. We would say that the kingdom of God has been inaugurated through Christ, but it has yet to be consummated, right? When Jesus came in his first incarnation, his first advent, he inaugurated the kingdom. He set up shop here. He, he, and you could look at it like he planted the flag. This place is mine. This is my kingdom, my world, and I'm coming back for it later. 
That's the part that hasn't happened yet. So we walk in this tension of the already and not yet. Jesus himself proclaimed over, over this world he came to in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. It can be hard for us to see this sort of dominion in the already and think that we must purely just be waiting for the not yet. It's helpful to remember this, church, because you may be thinking, missions often looks quite brutal. There are lives lost. Right, what the missionary stories that we often tell and hold up are people who suffered great loss for the sake of the gospel. Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, who we hold up, right? People like Adoniram Judson, who suffered incredibly. So, what does this mean? What do we mean that the kingdom of God is at hand? The kingdom of God is already. How is it already? It hurts so much sometimes when we see people we love suffering for the sake of the gospel. What does that mean? It's helpful for us, I think, to remember that Christ conquered sin and death through suffering. And that he was our example of suffering for the sake of the kingdom. He told us over and over again. He warned us, you're going to suffer. Things are not always going to be peachy in this life. It's helpful for us to hold up Jesus as our example here. One of my favorite lines in a song we sing, we sing it here, and Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery, where it, it tells us that we should come behold this wondrous mystery, Christ the Lord upon the tree, in the stead of ruined sinners hangs the Lamb in what? Victory. Isn't that so paradoxical? He's hanging there bleeding and dying, yet we can proclaim over that victory. Jesus is winning, even when he's dying. He's accomplishing the mission he set out to accomplish. That's why in the New Testament we can say with the Apostle Paul, to die is only gain. That's why we can suffer well. Because the kingdom of God is already. Jesus is already doing and has done many great things. The not yet part we'll get into a little bit next week. Because that part's really good too. This dominion of the Lord Jesus gives us courage to suffer well, knowing that the battle is already won and the mission is, in one sense, accomplished. We labor in missions with a level of confidence and certainty that no other mission has. Whether it's engagement here at this Y, or the support through missionaries that I see come in and out every week, we can do those things with confidence because Christ has won and the kingdom is his. We're not doing this sort of work in hopes that it'll pan out in the end. 
We're doing this sort of work with confidence, thanking God that he's already won the greatest battle. I'm particularly encouraged by the Fields Church and the emphasis on these sorts of things. Even if our Lord is rejected by those we engage, we engage with confidence that He's faithful to save. And the fact that Christ has dominion means that we can trust Him to do the, same, the saving, and we are simply to be obedient. I've never saved anybody in my life from their sin. Neither of you. That's good news. That you don't have to. That weight is not on your shoulders. Jesus already bore that weight on the cross. You simply point to him. This is how the kingdom impacts mission. Lastly, I would say that the mission of the church is to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. So this connects with where we just were. Our, pro- our proclamation is done in light of his dominion. If we look at our great commission in Matthew chapter 28, one of the things he tells his disciples, right, go baptize, go to all the nations, baptizing them, teaching them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them the things I've commanded you. Why is he telling us? What did he say before that? All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. That's a wonderful part to believe about the already, right? All authority is his. Everything that moves and breathes and even doesn't, every inanimate object, everything is his. As Spurgeon would say, there's not a dust mite floating through the air that Christ doesn't have reign over. It's all his. And we are to take that information and go make disciples. Teaching them the commands of Christ. Baptizing them in his name. I love how Jesus says not to go make converts, but to go make disciples. Laboring. Taking time. Intentional. Our proclamation, this is really good news, it's simple. Our proclamation itself is fairly simple. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 to 5. This is the Apostle Paul, and he says, When I came to you, brothers, did, I, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling in my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Good news. You don't have to have a theology degree to proclaim the gospel. You don't have to be the most eloquent, articulate person to proclaim the gospel. You can have social anxiety and proclaim the gospel. This is wonderful news for us as we consider this. Our God and His Word 
can be studied for a lifetime. This is true. It's an inexhaustible well. And don't even know, I thank God for the depths of the Bible and the things we can dig and mine from it. But when it comes to being missional, the good news about being missional is that a brand new Christian can turn around and be missional. That someone who has just been saved by the Lord Jesus can go to someone else and explain to them how they were saved by the Lord Jesus. They may not say it in the most pretty, beautiful way. They may even say some things wrong. It's not going to be perfect. But the gospel, in essence, is Jesus died for my sins. I don't know what was going on. I just know that the things I was chasing in life were never satisfying. And then I met this man named Jesus. This is beautiful for us, that it doesn't take some sort of hidden knowledge to tell people the truth of the gospel. Jesus died for sinners like me. He forgave me. For a holy God, I was despised and rejected. I, I despised and rejected this God, and Jesus forgave me. This is not difficult. True saving faith, as Paul mentions here in this text, is not produced in people by your eloquent speech, but by the Spirit and power. And that's something that has nothing to do with how great you are at talking. Our proclamation, the next thing I would say, our proclamation is necessary. Romans 10 tells us this, and I'll just paraphrase for sake of time. Romans 10 tells us that we are to go and proclaim this gospel, and how are they to hear if we don't? How are they to believe unless there's someone preaching? Now again, this is a beautiful thing about the kingdom of God. He's not saying, God is not saying that he needs us in order to fulfill his mission. He's saying he has chosen us for this task. There's nothing lacking in God that he can't do this work. He's rather choosing to include you as a part of his mission. We are the means God has chosen. Participating in the mission of God is not a burden. It's a privilege. And when we think about this, I want to touch on this for just a moment. It seems to me that evangelism is one of the most awkward parts of the Christian life. Maybe that's just me. But trying to talk to strangers about Christ does not come easy for me. It's not something that I'm, I was just born with doing. As I mentioned to you last week, most of the time I'd rather not talk to strangers at all, especially about the gospel. This seems awkward. But here's the thing. I have noticed this a sort of rebuke for myself, and maybe it, it'll trickle over to you. I have no problem sharing with someone that I've just met, maybe within the first couple minutes, about something that I care about. I have no problem doing that. I have no problem telling people about my children <laughs> that I've known for that long. Oh, how many kids? I have this many kids, and here's what you need to know about them. I have no problem sharing the joy that I have there. How much more joy do I have in King Jesus? 
Now, I'm not saying that every situation is going to call for this, that at every single grocery store line you need to tap the person on the shoulder and try and, you know, there are different levels to this. But I am saying, man, what boldness we could have if we just think in these terms of the glory of Christ is so important to me. I can't help but ooze out of who I am. How much more inclined? Christian, we are called to be on mission ultimately because God is on mission. And His glory is made known to every nation. This is His plan. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I don't know if you've looked at the sea. The waters cover all of it. Okay? That's what makes it the sea. This is God's mission. This is his goal. I want to read one other thing from John Piper's book, Don't Waste Your Life. By the way, aside, if you want to read a good book on missions, highly recommend this. Okay? One of the things he says is this. I'm wired by nature to love the same toys that the world loves. I start to fit in. I start to love what others love, and I start to call earth home. And before you know it, I'm calling luxuries needs and using my money just the way unbelievers do. And I begin to forget the war. I don't think much about people perishing. Missions and unreached people drop out of my mind, and I stop dreaming about the triumphs of grace. And I sink into a secular mindset that looks first to what man can do, not what God can do. It's a terrible sickness. And I thank God for those who have forced me again and again toward a wartime mindset. Our call as Christians on mission is to have a different mindset than the world has. Now we have comforts and we have things that we enjoy here, and those things are not sinful in and of themselves. But like Piper said, if we're not careful, our luxuries can start to feel like needs. I need this. Can't survive without it. Let us re- establish our mind. Let us continue to renew our mind with the Word toward mission. To tie in last week, we're supposed to be a community. Guess what sort of community we're supposed to be? A missional one, an intentional one. When we gather here, it's intentional, it's missional. When we have our small groups, it's intentional, it's missional. When you practice biblical hospitality and you have people in your home, it's intentional. It's missional. You are made for and called to so much more than just sitting in a building with other Christians on a Sunday morning. Now, that's not to take away from gathering on the Lord's Day. It's a beautiful thing. I love it. It's, one, it's my favorite thing to do ever, maybe. But that's not the only thing we are called to do. Maybe you're sitting here this morning 
and you're not a part of the family of God, you're not a part of this missional community, I want to say to you, the kingdoms of earth will fall, but the kingdom of God is forever. Just as mentioned by Daniel, all the great beasts representing all the nations will come and they'll go, and all of them will become nothing and dust before the feet of King Jesus. All of them. Maybe you're like the English novelist George Orwell and you grew up in the church. And Orwell wrote, one, in my opinion, was one of the saddest quotes I've ever read about a person who grew up in a Christian home. He said this, Till about age 14, I believed in God. And I believed that the accounts given of Him were true. And here's the heart-wrenching part. But I did not love Him. I believed, but I did not love Him. You may feel cold towards God. You may have grown up in that sort of thing. This is the Bible belt, right? It's easy to grow up in a Christian home around here. Let me ask you this morning, do you love him? Have you felt that deep need? Have you been crying out like Jenny Lynn in the beginning of things that will never be enough without something happening? Listen. One of the most beautiful things about the mission of God is it fulfills that desire. Jesus is enough. His death on the cross, his resurrection, his taking a punishment for our sins, his atonement, those are all wonderful things. But guess what? He also wants to know his people. <laughs> that we go on mission and we support mission and we long to see people saved because knowing Jesus is the end goal. Not just our serving Him. In our mission, we are serving Him, but let that not replace our knowing Him. Knowing Jesus and His glory is the goal, the end goal of mission in the church. It's why we do what we do. If Jesus is not better than all the other junk, why are we here? He is better. So this morning, if your soul is crying out for satisfaction, I want to just put before you Jesus' words in the Gospel of Mark. Repent and believe the Gospel. Trust Him. He is enough. Let's pray. Our great God and Father, we love you. We thank you for all the ways you have shown your glory that we might worship you. We thank you for the kingdom that we see that not only have you overthrown the grave, but the nations will be yours. And Lord, we thank you for the message that you've given us that can be just as simple as Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. And Lord, we do want to pray now appropriately for this mission.
that you would use us as your people to do the work that you've called us to do. And we want to pray for those who are in very dangerous spots doing the same work. Lord, what a joy, what a privilege it is to be a part of your kingdom and your people with the purpose, with the mission, with the intention of lifting you high that others may believe and have life in your name. And it's in that name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.